0: If you got your Bible here this morning, Luke chapter 17. Luke 17, starting in verse 28. I'm going to be preaching to you again from our series on prophecy. Headlines from tomorrow. So far, uh, we've looked at the headline, Millions Missing, which is in reference to the rapture. We also looked at the headline a few days ago, actually, of World War III in Israel. We talked about the impending War, according to Ezekiel 38 and 39, in which God will deliver His people miraculously. Today I want to preach to you on this headline, which is very relevant. The headline today, the second coming of Sodom. In June of 2023, just last month, President Biden celebrated Pride Month by throwing the biggest LBGTQ party in White House history. There's the pictures. Thousands of guests picnicked on the South Lawn. Activists gave their rallying cries for more LGBTQ acceptance. Musicians performed while drag queens danced. In a speech, President Biden urged Congress to pass the Equality Act, which would amend the 1964 Civil Rights Act to include sexual orientation and gender identity, for legal protection alongside race and religion, national origin. Biden also called the LBGT community, quote, the bravest and most inspiring people he'd ever met, claiming them as an example for the entire world. But what stole the show was something not scripted by the White House. You see, in attendance that day was trans activist Rose Montoya, a TikTok influencer and a biological male who is transgender. He was joined by others who decided to take their tops off and bare their chests on the South Lawn. Videos of the incident surfaced on the Internet and, of course, went viral. The video caused widespread outcry on social media with many saying Montoya and the group disgraced the White House. I think we'd already done that. But Montoya doubled down on the nudity in a follow-up video saying this, My transmasculine friends were showing off their top surgery scars and living in joy. And I wanted to join them. I was simply living my joy, my truth, and existing in my body and such is the spirit of the age years ago the world famous evangelist Billy Graham remarked by saying if God did not judge America for her sin then he would have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah now Billy Graham made that comment during the sexual revolution of the 1960s and 70s and if he said it back then how much more does that apply today For those of you that are familiar with your Bible, you know the name Sodom well. The Sin City is mentioned six times in the Old Testament and four in the New for a total of ten. And each time it is always remembered for its reputation of being a wretched hive of scum and villainy. also an example of God's wrath. Now, in Luke 17, Jesus mentioned Sodom in relationship to his promised return, and he explained that the world's spiritual condition and the cultural morass would be reminiscent of Sodom just prior to his return. You could rip this headline straight out of today, and yet Jesus was saying prophetically about the end times. Notice what he said. Luke 17, verse 28. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all, so will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Speaking, of course, of His second coming there. Now, the Sodom of old may be a charcoal spot somewhere out in the Middle Eastern desert but in a very real sense we are seeing the spirit of Sodom alive and well today in our modern world we just came through an example of that pride month where you go everywhere whether it's target or whether it's the coffee shop or you flip on your television and you have an agenda a rainbow agenda right there in your face now As America continues to rot from the inside out, it is clear that we are a nation that is slouching towards Sodom more and more every day. In the message today, we're going to explore what did Jesus mean when he referred to the days of Lot. And as a sign of the end times, what practical lessons might we learn today as we look upon our world and see the signs aligning pointing to the fact that Jesus is coming back soon. Amen? Number one, let's set the biblical foundation, and I want to talk to you about the progressive slide into Sodom. The progressive slide into Sodom. And for this part of the message, we'll be going back to the book of Genesis. You don't have to flip there, but I will have the scriptures up on the screen. But Sodom was a major metropolitan area in the days of Abraham in fact if we go back to Genesis 13 that is where we begin to see this sin city emerge and the Bible is very clear here that this city was nestled in a green fertile well watered valley Sodom would have been a place of culture and commerce and comfort and cutting edge technology in fact Sodom was such a boom town in Abraham's day that it attracted the attention of his nephew a man named lot whom Jesus referenced in that prophecy and lot decided to move closer and closer to the city until as you study his life you can clearly begin to see a discernible pattern that he's gradually pulled in this progressive slide into Sodom one step at a time notice what the Bible says Uh, Genesis 13, And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. And then if you keep reading, So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And then verse 12, Abraham settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom, verse 13. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. First, notice the progression. He lifted his eyes toward Sodom, Genesis 13, 10. Then he moved his tent toward Sodom, Genesis 13, 12. If you keep reading and you go to chapter 14 and verse 12, we find that he's now living in Sodom. And then ultimately, we find him sitting at the gate of Sodom, the place where the elders and the political leaders would meet to do the city's business. Look at what Genesis 19:1 says. I'll just read it to you. The two angels came to Sodom in the evening, and Lot was sitting at the gate of Sodom. Now, the apostle Peter makes a comment, a little commentary in his second epistle, 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 8, he says that while Lot lived in Sodom, he was actually tormented by all the unashamed, evil, and rampant sexual immorality. Look what the Bible says. And if he, that's God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, verse 8, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Here's the application. Just as Lot was gradually pulled into Sodom and its wicked lifestyle, so too goes the course of individuals and, yes, even nations collectively as they slide ever darker into deeper patterns of sin. Notice how Sodom was reeling Lot in to the point to where he was... In chapter 19, the chapter when God ultimately destroys the city, He's ingrained in the society. He's part of the ruling elite. And friend, that's what can happen in a life. A life can be tragically and progressively pulled into darkness, pulled into sin, pulled into addiction, pulled into idolatry or whatever you might call it. And a nation can do the same thing as well. Just study American history, particularly starting in the 20th century, moving down to the present. America has followed the same subtle downhill slide. And friend, it is shocking today when you look back of how far we've come in such a short amount of time. Who would have ever thought that in 2023 the most controversial thing you could say is there's only two genders? Notice what C.S. Lewis, the great, christian apologist said he said quote the safest road to hell is the gradual one the gentle slope soft underfoot without sudden turnings without milestones without signposts that's the way lots life went some of you can testify to that where jesus found you in your hopelessness in your brokenness in your sin you get to that place and you say how did i get this far How did I stoop to such a depth? How did I get here? Where did I lose my way? That's what I want you to see here today. How in the world did Lot, who was a nephew of righteous Abraham, the father of the faithful, how did Lot end up in this city? And how did America end up where we are today? Well, you can trace the steps. Just as Lot progressively slid into Sodom, America's done the same thing. How did we get there? Well, first off, we reject the maker. We reject the maker. Listen to what Paul said in Romans 1. Paul explains the first step in a nation's decline is when they impeach God from their collective consciousness. Isn't that what we've done We don't want prayer in the school anymore. We don't want the day to be started with the Word of God. We don't want people to pray at our public meetings, at our football games. We don't want God at City Hall. We don't want the Christians to speak at the public forum. Paul said this, Romans 1, verse 24, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator. Friend, that's the course that we have taken. That's what happened in America since the 1960s. We kicked God out of our nation and in the place, evolution stepped in. We teach our kids now, they're evolved pond scum. And we wonder why they act like animals when they go in schools and shoot each other because we've taught them that's what they are. They're animals. Evolution moved in. Marxism has moved in. Where it's divided our culture, where we hate everybody and we're so divided. And if you don't agree with me, you hate me and you're a bigot and you're a racist. And we label each other and we're so divided in the church and in our families and in our culture. That's what Marxism does. A godless agenda that moves in and separates people from their cultural unity. And then, of course, the LBGTQ agenda has come in and also filled that void you see, nature abhors a vacuum. And when you kick God out, something is going to move in to take its place. And that's what we've allowed to happen. When God is removed from society, then listen to this. You take away the objective standard for truth and morality. That's why today in 2023 you hear people say, like the trans activists at the White House, I'm just living my truth. You have your truth, I have My truth, honey, there's only one truth, right? And a public opinion doesn't make it up. You don't get to decide what's true just based on how you feel when your feet hit the floor that day. There is an objective truth. If you don't believe me, try to deny the law of gravity and then take a long walk off of a skyscraper and see if reality conforms to your delusion. Amen? But according to 2023 polling data from Barna, listen to this. They say that 35% of Gen Z, that's the youngest generation coming up, is atheist, agnostic, or non-religious, far more than any of the previous generations before. You work with youth for just a short amount of time. You understand these kids are confused. They're broken, they're depressed, they're suicidal. Why? Because they've rejected the Maker and they have bought into the hopeless garbage of this world. They have parents who are equally lost and won't bring them to the house of God. They turn them over to the schools and say, well, see if you can do anything with my kid. The school system doesn't have the answer. The government doesn't have the answer. The media will gladly brainwash them. Then when they get to the university... Oh, it's all over by then. From the top down, you reject the maker. And what moves in is godlessness. The LBGT agenda is the natural result of a generation who has clenched their fists in the face of God and rejected truth, yes, even basic biology, so that we say today that gender can be Fluid. What does that even mean? Friend, you're either XX or XY. I'm sorry if that offends you, but that's science. That's biology. Malcolm Muggeridge, the great British commentator, he said this. He said, if God is dead, somebody is going to have to take his place. It'll either be megalomania or erotomania, the drive for power or the drive for pleasure, Hitler or Hugh Hefner. We've got little Hitlers above the top of their companies or in their political positions gladly wanting to take more and more power from you. And you have an agenda to indoctrinate even young children into sexually perverse ways. Hitler or Hugh Hefner. How do they do it? They reject the Maker, then they redefine morals. They redefine morals. By the way, just let me go ahead and get this out of the way. Because I know people are going to hate when I say this. Preacher, why are you picking on the gays? Why are you picking on the trans? Let me just be very clear about what the Bible says. The Bible condemns all sexual immorality. Porn, adultery, fornication. That's having sexual relations with somebody who's not your spouse. Hooking up, homosexuality. The whole gamut. Anything that is outside the safe confines of marriage... God has condemned as sin. So, this is a broad offense to everybody, okay? I'm not just picking on one group. I'm telling you what the Bible says in general about all sexual immorality. And, friend, if that describes you, then the word that you need to adopt in your life is repent. You need to understand that God is holy, that God is righteous. Yes, God loves you. Yes, God loves the homosexual. Yes, God loves the transgender. But God is a holy, righteous, just judge and He must punish sin. And friend, if that's your lifestyle, with all the love in my heart that I can muster, I tell you, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. Run to Jesus He'll save you. He'll cleanse you. He'll give you a new heart, a fresh life, a new start. I'm not talking about religion. I'm talking about the Creator of the universe doing a sovereign work in your heart that you cannot explain where He changes your desires, your appetites, your innermost being, and you say, the old has gone and the new has come. So I'm not beating up on anybody. I'm just trying to Level with you and show you where we are today according to the Word of God. Reject the Maker, they redefine the morals. With God out of the way, the next step is to put new labels on sinful behavior so that the public perception will change. Right? Even though it is still evil in God's sight, a new name helps ease the conscience. Doesn't sound so bad. When you put an airbrushed name over top of it. A spin, if you will. This is what our media is so good about. Lying to you. Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Listen to this. Did you know that until 1972 the American Psychological Association treated homosexuality as a disorder deserving professional treatment what changed you tell me the label was removed in 2012 the American Psychological Association also recategorized gender dysphoria removing from its list of medical disorders it's no longer a sickness anymore this is perfectly normal they're just working out their identity They're discovering themselves They're unleashing their potential The Bible calls that an abomination in sin and pride What's next? So we've reclassified homosexuality We've reclassified transgender And the question is, what's next? Because once you get the ball rolling You don't stop there The alphabet mafia keeps adding letters to their title LBGTQ, now we got PLUS What's the plus? I'm going to get hate mail for this, but I don't care. The plus is pedophilia. That's where we're going. Because that's what's next in the downhill slide into Sodom. What else can we change the label of and accept and make it profitable? You see, there are advocates right now who are pushing for pedophilia, listen to this, to be recategorized as a minor attracted person. That's a fancy term for perv. Amen? Let's just call it what it is. It's deviancy. It's debauchery. It's evil. It's dark. It's wicked. You see, Satan gets us to change the name so that the sin is accepted and celebrated. We have a whole month of pride about it now. So look at this. Instead of changing our ways, we change our wording. Sexual exploitation? No, it's adult entertainment now. Pornography? No, it's adult entertainment. Abortion? That's pro-choice. Adultery? Eh, we call that open marriage. Gender dysphoria? We'll reclassify that as reproductive health care. Fornication? No, that's intimacy. Lust is love. Truth? Now, eh, if you speak to the truth today, that's hate speech. And pedophilia, where it's going, minor attracted persons. Y'all think I'm crazy. You think I'm up here wearing a tin-full hat and I've gone off the reservation. Friend, mark it down. When you've removed God from the equation anymore, human wretchedness knows no end. We've got to the point now where people, even the, the lady that they put on the Supreme Court just last year, They cannot even define what a woman is anymore. This is how depraved they are in their thinking, and they call them birthing people. How dumb. That's the stupidity of sin. And transgenderism defies the laws of biology and grammar. Let me pick my pronouns. I'm a Z, Zim, Zims, Her, They, Them. Excuse me, I'm not participating in your delusion. You're either a him or a her. I'm not going along with it. See how this progressed? started with no fault divorce. You don't like the one you're with? Leave them. Love the one you're with. Remember that song? Then the pill came along. And the pill detached the consequence of sex from the act. Oh, the Women's Liberation Movement. The pill came along. And now, so many don't have to worry about pregnancy. And if you do get pregnant, we've got another solution for that. We just kill the baby. Abortion on demand. And then we legalize gay marriage. And now we're at the transgender thing. You see how we have stepped down the rung of the ladder. And where, uh, where do you where is the bottom in this? When you reject the maker and you redefine the terms... I heard about a pastor who was hired at a a church. And this church had a reputation for being quite liberal. And this pastor came and he started preaching on sin and judgment, kind of like the way I'm doing here this morning. He started preaching on repentance. He started preaching on God's holiness. And he was just giving them straight up Bible. But there was a group within the church who kind of ran things and they didn't like what the preacher was saying. And they cornered him one Sunday after church and said, Listen, you better change it your ways. You better tone it down a little bit or come next Monday morning, you're not going to have a job. Well, the next Sunday, the preacher got up to the pulpit and he had with him a bottle of rat poison. And in his message, he began to preach about sin and about what God thinks about certain topics. And he took a stretch of duct tape and ripped it off and put a label over that Rat poison with the skull and crossbones And then he wrote with a sharpie over the front of it Aspirin He presented that bottle to the church That bottle of rat poison That was now relabeled aspirin And he said this Those who think it's a good idea To change the labels on sin That which God has said is deadly poison I invite you now to come up here And take this harmless pill For your headache I think they got the message That's what we've done We've taken the bottle of sin and we've smacked a new label on it and we've taken it and we're killing ourselves as a society. Lastly, what's the last step? Re-educate the minds. You reject the maker, you redefine the morals and then you re-educate the mind. The last piece of the program is to get the LBGT agenda into library schools and churches. Have they succeeded at that? Listen to this. I am not making this up you can go and look it up as God is my witness this is true from July 2021 to December 2022 the most hotly debated book was the book gender queer have you heard of this the LBGTQ themed book which includes graphic sexual imagery that would make a sailor blush was banned from 56 school districts across our nation including some here in North Carolina, but only at the behest of Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson, who said there is no reason anybody anywhere in America should be telling children about transgenderism, homosexuality, or any of that filth. And yes, he called it filth. But here's the troubling thing. At the same time, many other school boards in various states voted to keep the book as a signed reading. You better... Check up on your kids What they're being taught What is coming into their mind Mom and dad The books that are being placed in their hands I'm not slamming teachers I'm not slamming our godly teachers Who are there to do the best that they can I'm just telling you This is already moved into the public area It's in churches too I've got a brother-in-law who's on furloughed from the mission field and he's home this summer. And I was talking with him just the other day and he was up in Indiana, I believe it was. He was visiting some family and they drove from Indiana down here to... North Carolina spent some time with us, and he was telling me how they were so discouraged as they drove uh, through the country. They went by church after church Baptist church, Methodist church, Lutheran church, and it seemed like every church they drove by, there was a big old rainbow flag hanging above the door. Friend, that's where we are. It's in the schools, it's in the media, it's in the stores, it's in the church. No wonder Jesus said of the lukewarm Laodicean church of the last days that he would spit them out of his mouth. It's sick. It's evil. And where are the pastors who will stand up with the truth of God in one hand and the Spirit of God within them and say what needs to be said? The days for being silent have long gone. If we don't stand up as God's people and expose the works of darkness and take seriously our pursuit of God and the Christian faith, we're not going to have anything left. California, listen to what California's done. In September of 2021, California signed a bill enabling children to get sex reassignment surgery and abortions without their parents' knowledge. You see, the agenda is they want to detach the child from the parent so that they can take the child and reeducate the mind. Jesus said this. Jesus said for those who would harm a little one, it would be better for them to have a millstone tied around their neck and for them to be thrown into the sea. There is real wickedness. There is real evil, real darkness, real satanic things being done To children today, you know what I'm talking about. And there's going to be a reckoning. And we need some pastors and some churches who will stand on the authority of the Word of God and say, you can label me whatever you want, you can hate me, you can cancel me, but I am not backing up. I'm not going to shut up. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to stand up and I'm going to stand on the Word of God because they are precious in the sight of our God. Number one, the progressive slide into Sodom. Then number two, I've got to hurry up, the praying saint and Sodom. The praying saint and Sodom. If you go to Genesis chapter number 18, if you go to Genesis 18, you can read that before God let the fire fall, we have one of the most intimate scenes of intercessory prayer in the Bible as Abraham pleads with God to spare Sodom for the sake of the righteous. Look at what verse 22 says. And so the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. And then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are 50 righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the 50 righteous? who are in it and then look at what verse uh, 25 says far be it from you to do such a thing to put the righteous to death with the wicked so that the righteous fare as the wicked far be it from you shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just and the Lord said if I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city I will spare the whole place for their sake you can keep reading in this conversation that Abraham is having with God God says, what about if there's 20? What about if there's 10? What about, uh, uh, Lord, will you you spare the city if there's just 10 righteous? And God said, I will. But you know what? Abraham and God have this back and forth. And God assures Abraham that he would not destroy the city if he could find just 10 righteous people, and yet there weren't even that many God-fearing people in the city. You see, God knew there weren't ten righteous people in Sodom and Gomorrah. Nonetheless, He allows Abraham to intercede on their behalf. Remember, prayer is not about man getting his agenda done in heaven, but about God getting His will done on the earth. Prayer doesn't change the mind of God, the ways of God. But intercessory does change us. And God deepened Abraham's understanding of divine wrath and justice and mercy. And what Abraham learned in this exchange, this intercessory moment between he and the Lord, Abraham learned that God's judgment came at the end of a long season of patient mercy. That God had been patient with the Sodomites. That He would given them century after century. And they had fallen to the point to where they were so godless, so dark, there was no hope for them. It's been said, listen to this, that intercessory prayer is loving our neighbor on our knees. There's no greater work that we could do for a wicked and lost culture than to pray for a spiritual awakening. And I know what some of you are thinking, Derek, I've given up on my country. The Political process is broke. The legislators don't listen. Hollywood is woke. There's no, there's no, nothing works anymore. It's all rigged. It's a game. It's, it's so messed up. Yeah, I feel you. It's frustrating. It can be depressing if you have a constant stream of Fox News coming in your face every single day. That's why sometimes you got to turn it off and get away from it. I hear you. But friend, when was the last time you, like Abraham, got before God and said, God, realign my priorities. God, help me to see things the way that you see things. Lord, uh, uh, Give me a burden for a lost soul and for a wayward nation. You see, I haven't yet given up on my country because I still believe this book. I still believe that if God sent a revival to Nineveh in the days of Jonah, that if God was so patient with uh, other nations down through the years, uh, God hasn't told me to stop preaching. God hasn't told me to stop praying. I've still got a burden. I've still got a message. I've still got the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, which can save, which can redeem, which can revive and bring people back from the dead. I wonder how many of us today can raise our hand and say, Preacher, had it not been for a little praying mama, had it not been for a praying deacon, had it not been for some blessed saint of God who prayed for me, who called me, who dragged me to church when I didn't want to go. Thank you, Lord, for that one who wouldn't let go of the horns of the altar. And I'm saved today. And I'm heaven-bound today. And I know about the grace and the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ because somebody said they're not hopeless. Let's pray for them. Let's intercede on their behalf. Let's not let go until we see God save them. One man or one woman praying has more power to affect the eternal trajectory of souls than presidents, parliaments, princes, and the plans of Satan. I know the country's going down, but if it's going down, I'm going to be on my knees praying, I'm going to be on my feet preaching. I'm going to be out in the highways and the byways trying to reach somebody before it's everlasting too late. You see, friend, here's the thing. The culture has the idea that people like me hate the LBGT community, hate the transgenders. I don't hate them. I may not understand them. But I look at them the way that Abraham looked at Sodom. With compassion in my heart. Because those confused people, those deceived people, Jesus thought enough of them to hang on the cross and die for them. I have pity in my heart that this is the most suicidal group of all in the United States. I have compassion in my heart that they are searching for identity. They're searching for love, Brother Stan. They want somebody to tell them, Who am I? Am I valuable? Am I too broken? Is there any hope for me? And I want to say to them, there's a Savior who can come in and give you hope and rewrite your story and forgive you and rebuild you from the inside out if you will but let go and turn to Him. You don't need the hormones. You don't need the sex change. You don't need the wicked, dark lifestyle of trying to find love in the arms of somebody. Turn to Jesus. Yes, we can be disgusted. Yes, we can be angry. Yes, we can be frustrated. But I'm to take all of those emotions and I'm to direct them to God and let God deal with my heart and say, God, help me to see this lost and dying world as Abraham did. God, if you can just save a few of them, Lord, use me to do it. That's my message to you. Oh, this culture is so broken, they're so deceived. But they're so hungry for somebody to love them. One of America's great gospel preachers of the Second Great Awakening was a man named Charles Finney. In 1824, Charles Finney received a letter from an old man begging him to come and visit his little village in upstate New York. Finney said that the town was exceedingly difficult to find because of its remoteness. He didn't know the name of the town until he got there, actually. The place was called Sodom. And it got the title for the wickedness of its citizens. The town had no church, and so Finney held his meetings in a one-room schoolhouse. Listen to this. On the night of the service, he preached on the judgment of Sodom from Genesis 19. What I'm talking about right here. Eyewitnesses said that the Spirit of God fell with such power that people were prostrate and cried out for God not to throw them into the flames. Finney urged them, My friends, you're not in hellfire yet. Now let me direct you to the Savior. Revival was sparked in Sodom, New York, and Finney attributed the move of God there to one little man, who wrote him a letter. One little man who believed in the grace and the goodness and the revival spirit of God. One little man who interceded for his town and his people. Then he said, the credit for the revival goes to that little old man who prayed, God, send us a preacher. God, send us fresh wind and fresh fire. That's my message to you today. I still believe that God is willing. I know that God is able. The question is, church, do we want it? (laughs) Are we sick of uh, the culture enough to get down on an old-fashioned altar and gather our family together and say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. This ain't about church being convenient anymore. I'm getting in there with my pastor and my people, and I'm, I'm serving the Lord. I'm going to finally commit to learning this Word of God. I'm going to understand what it means to be a man or woman of prayer. Because, friend, you've been raised up for such a time as this. If, if we fall, it's on our watch. And I've resolved within me that I'm going to do all that I can to reach my community, to reach Western North Carolina, to reach my family, and whoever will come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Where's our praying saints at? Lastly, number three is this, the prophetic sign of Sodom. The prophetic sign of Sodom. Jesus said that when we see the world looking like Sodom, then watch out, because His return is near. Amen. What are we to do? I know this is a strong message. I know it may have rubbed somebody the wrong way. But listen to me. The time for playing games is is long gone. We need to understand the times and the seasons that we're in. This is dire. And if the Lord comes and you're on the fence, I can't help you. What do we do? As we see this as a prophetic picture, First this, God's people should expect disinterest from the world. Notice what Jesus said? Jesus said in the the Luke, if you go back there, he said they were eating and drinking, buying, selling, giving in marriage until the day when the fire fell. What does he mean? Sodom was spiritually apathetic. Jesus said it was business as usual mentality up until the very hour that God sent angels into the city to get Lot and his family out. Church, we need to realize this. We don't have the home field advantage anymore. You believe that? Listen to me. I'm just trying to level with you. We're living in the gayest, most confused, most biblically illiterate times that has ever been in American history. Assuming that people know God or know the Bible. No, they don't. Preaching the gospel, listen to me. And I'm preaching to myself here. Preaching the gospel and doing church is not going to get easier. It's just not. Unless God does something amazing. Reaching that next generation is going to be daunting. I'm having to have conversations with my children that my parents never would have dreamed of having a conversation with me about because the culture has gone so left in just one generation. It's not going to get easier. That's why we understand that what God is doing here is unusual. This is a day and time when churches are closing their doors. This is a day and time when people are plugging up their ears. This is a day and time when the world and the media and Hollywood and the world system wants to see us fail. And there is a spiritual battle. Jesus told us this warning. Why? So that we'd be prepared, so that we'd be fearless, and so we'd be resolute. To know this is what we're up against. And we don't have the resources the world does. I don't have the cameras and the media and the satellites that they do. I don't have corporate America in my back pocket. I don't have big tech on my side. But I have Almighty God. I have the Word of God. I have the Spirit of God. And every time that we stand to proclaim and worship and gather and tell people about Jesus, you don't know what God might do. Expect disinterest from the world, but expect deliverance out of this world. Don't be discouraged. There is hope here. Lot was removed from Sodom right before the fire and the brimstone rained down. 2 Peter 2, verses 6 through 9 says that God saved Lot from Sodom and He knows how to save His people. This is a picture of what's going to happen in the church and in the world when Jesus returns and the rapture happens. There's going to be some who are going to leave this world. That's the church. The true remnant of God, born again, blood-bought. 1 Thessalonians 1.10, 1 Thessalonians 5.9, the church is not destined for... The wrath of God, but to be rescued, to be raptured, to be brought out before the great and terrible day of the Lord begins. Lastly, is this God's people should expect the destruction of this world? If you keep reading in Luke seventeen verse thirty-two, Jesus says of this brief admonition, he says, "Remember Lot's wife." Remember that the Bible says that as. Lot and his family were being led out of the city as the fire is raining down, destroying that wickedness. They get above a hill looking over the city, and Lot's wife turns around and looks back, and God, the Bible says, she was turned into a pillar of salt. What a warning about the danger of having a divided heart. Miss Lot's affections were so tied to this earth, and ultimately she could not get Sodom out of her. Listen, there's a lot of folk in the church today who can't decide whether they want to be in the world or whether they want to serve God. I'm telling you this today with all the love in my heart. Child of God, if you're waffling on this, if you think this message was maybe a little bit too strong, if you think this was unloving, are you sitting on the fence? Are you sitting on the fence because the place for wishy-washy fence-sitting is over? And friend, it's time for the church to get off the fence because Satan owns that fence. Let me leave you with this. There's hope today. God loves the sexually immoral. God loves the transgender. God loves those people who are in the darkness. Let's look at this man right here. This is Samuel Jordan. He was born into a Christian home in Fort Myers, Florida. He was eight years old when he was sexually abused by a family member. And not only did this evil act shatter his innocence, but it set him on a dark path where he tried to find healing for his trauma. Listen to what happened to him. At age 14, Samuel was actively pursuing the gay lifestyle which he hid from his mother until she discovered explicit notes in his backpack. Samuel's promiscuous lifestyle devastated his mother and she said, if this is going going to be how you will live, I can't talk to you. Two years later, Samuel's mother died of cancer. And that only added to his identity crisis. So at age 19, Samuel wanted a new identity because all he had known up to that point was shame, pain, and rejection. He said, I really hated who I was. Samuel wasn't accepted. Samuel was disowned. Samuel was alone. Samuel... Wasn't loved. And so I decided to create a new identity for me. And I began living as the transgender Simone. This lets you in a little bit of the thinking process of what's going on here. Living as Simone, he underwent breast implant surgery and started working as an escort. But after nearly a decade of living as Simone, Samuel was more broken and emptier than ever. With nowhere else to go, he moved in with a family member back home in Florida. But this aunt that he moved in with had one condition. You can live here, but on Sunday morning, you're coming with me to church. The first Sunday, Samuel went to church, and it wasn't what he thought it was going to be. Instead of condemnation, instead of judgmentalism, he heard a song about being desperate for God that utterly crushed his heart. After the message, Samuel responded by going to the altar and asking Jesus to forgive him and to heal him. He said he felt at that very moment God say to him, I've been waiting on you. I don't care what you have become or who you have become. I don't care what you have done to your body. My son died for you. Samuel was gloriously saved on that day. He had his implants removed and he made the transition and today he lives fully as a man. And he goes around sharing his testimony today that God can change anybody. Amen? This is the truth they don't want you to know about. The hopelessness and brokenness that is at the end of that road and the only one who can step in and rebuild that person is Jesus Christ. Our musicians are coming. We're going to have a time of invitation if you need to respond today. I know I've been long-winded, but I appreciate the extra time. I feel like we needed to hear this today. As our musicians are coming, I wonder, is God dealing with somebody? Is there a heart out there that maybe the transgenderism thing isn't your choice sin, but there's something else. There's an addiction. There's a pride. There's a problem. Friend, give it up. Come to Jesus. Get off that fence. Seek him while he may be found. He'll save you. He'll deliver you. He'll be to you, your Lord and your shepherd. As we stand today all over the house, I wonder, is God dealing with somebody?